0: Well, first off, I am grateful to be here with your student body this morning at Northwestern. Um, Gosh, uh, you didn't skip in spite of the cold. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was tempted when I rolled out of bed this morning. So first things first, before we do anything, I need to snap this or it didn't happen, right? So say hi. (laughs) Oh, it's like a little mini wave, cool. So, we're here at Northwestern, and we are going to talk a little bit about a really difficult, dark topic, sex trafficking. My name is Laura Mulliken. I do work for Source. I've been on staff there for about a year and a half. But I began this journey trying to figure out how I, as a believer, could address this humongous, seemingly never-ending pit of darkness called sex trafficking right here in the U.S. I began that journey about seven years ago, and I am still learning. So uh, just a heads up, I'm going to do 101 in the as hyper speed today. We are not going to get through it all because I'm still learning seven years later. Uh, this usually takes about 45 minutes to unpack, and we don't have the luxury of that time. So I would encourage you to come back and hear from my friends over the next couple days, and then gather for prayer later in the week. Uh, prayer is really overlooked weapon in our arsenal as believers we talk about the power of prayer but very few of us actually engage in it in a way that it's the only offensive weapon (laughs) that we have in our arsenal Um, and so we we need to be engaged in that together as we face this darkness with sex trafficking we've all heard a whole huge bunch about sex trafficking coming to Minneapolis, St. Paul, because the Super Bowl is coming into town and it is the largest human trafficking event in the United States. I have news for you, that's not really true. I personally am very grateful that the Super Bowl is over and the hype is done. And now I can step into what is really the best sporting season in Minnesota the road to Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament time. Uh, (laughs) I I am an obsessed fan. Um, I will say that, yes, the Super Bowl came to town, and we did see an increase in ads of women and children being sold online for sex. But the truth is that it's happening here in Minnesota, day, 365 days a year. Because of the work of great organizations like IJM, International Justice Mission, we know that sex trafficking is a horror that exists over there. But all 50 states have seen sex trafficking here on U.S. soil. In fact, in 2016 and in 2017, every county in minnesota had trafficking charges filed so this is not just a metropolitan area issue it is a human issue across all areas of our state we often think too of okay well then they must be like women brought up from mexico or women brought in because we see that in tv storylines right? The U.S. Department um, has actually done studies and they've taken a look at all victims uh, from confirmed for cases of sex trafficking here in the U.S. over the last number of years. And some of us might be surprised to find that 83% of children and women who are trafficked are U.S. born citizens. How does that happen? country where slavery is supposed to be abolished, where we're supposed to have new channels of understanding. How do children become commodities? How do particularly my sisters of color become higher risk, uh, risked people groups? Um, Women trafficked in the northern part of the states at higher numbers percentage wise relative to the rest of our state's population. How can this happen? How can this exist? Well, it exists because sex trafficking is now actually the third or the second largest criminal enterprise in the states. It's overtaken the sale of illegal weapons and it's only topped by drugs. But we're seeing more and more intersections between drug trafficking and human trafficking. And the reason largely for that, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? I can sell you heroin one time. And then I need to go back to my supply chain and get more to sell. But if I have heroin and I can do an upcharge of selling you a person alongside of that to feed that addiction, I can resell that person again and again and again the average life expectancy once you've entered into prostitution being prostituted is seven years and honestly traffickers have a mindset that if you're used up incapable of bringing in income anymore you're a disposable commodity and there will be other victims to target, turn, trick, and traumatize. Um, There is, especially in, in a society that is breaking down the nuclear family, which was really built as God's gift to protect the children that we have coming up. As that breaks down, we expose our children to more and more risk factors. So who are some of these kids that are at risk for being trafficked? The average age for entry into the life, and I hear this over and over again from women that I meet, some just this past week, who were recovered out of law enforcement operations. They entered the life they were first trafficked when they were between the ages of 12 and 14. I also have a dear friend who was a 19-year-old college student on a local campus experienced a sexual assault, a rape, at 19, and it sent her entire world crashing as she knew it. And from there, she ended up feeling kind of like her her body was not hers any longer. It had been violated. And she was talked into going to work at a strip club. While at that strip club, she met a man who posed and convinced her that he was wealthy, that he wanted to rescue her from this life in the clubs when in truth, he was grooming her and he became her pimp. Um, we see time and time again, children who are vulnerable because of untreated mental illness or undiagnosed mental illness in the home that they grow up in. We think about things like alcohol or drug addiction in the family of origin where they're growing up. We think about a fatherless home uh, where there is no male positive relationship to attach to or to learn what it looks like to be loved appropriately by a male. We think about kids who are left to their own devices because of poverty, mom or dad, Try and keep a roof over their heads and food on the table, but that leaves them open for hours of unattended time. Um, And and it allows unsavory people to come in and offer time and attention and love. Sex trafficking, there's a federal definition that we could go into. But basically, a picture for you to keep in your mind as you unpack this over the next several days is that it's, it takes three people. There's a trafficker who's a pimp, the seller, if you will, and they set themselves up basically as a little demigod of their universe. It is about power and control, and it is about money. And people are expendable. They are a commodity. And then there's a victim who is a person who is sold for a sexual act and they are highly vulnerable, often because of one or more of those factors that I just went through. And then in order for this to work, there has to be a third party because that trafficker is profiting because they are selling that victim to a third party, which we often call a John or a buyer and that money that the buyers bring to the table is what fuels this industry. Uh, And and a, a side piece, which I do whole seminars on, is also pornography. We have got to wake up, in my opinion, as a church, and start talking in real ways about pornography and how it is interrupting what God intended our relationships between males and females to be. The average age of a kid to first view pornography right now is nine years old. That's changed a lot since a lot of us here in this room. So we have an entire generation growing up that are never going to know kind of that butterfly feeling in your stomach of holding hands for the first time or wondering, instead, increasingly, middle school girls are being asked to give. I should have asked how far I can go language-wise here. Uh, BJ, I'll just say that. (laughs) Instead of, because that's not sex, right? And that's an interruption that's happening because of the impact of the sexualization of our culture and pornography on our culture. is that we misunderstand what it meant when God said we were to have dominion. If you think about it, when God told Adam and Eve to have dominion, it was before sin had entered the world. So it wasn't about controlling another person or manipulating another person. It was about the health and flourishing of the world and the relationships that they had been set in the midst of. So... As a church, how do we take back this this ground from the enemy and instead reframe our relationships, especially as men and women, in the context of how can I be about your flourishing, about your growth, about your health, about your life? We see every day women who. They are less valuable than men. That they are uh, worth nothing more than the value that their sexuality can bring them. Um, and these women who are trafficked are are held there with, I would say, invisible chains. Those pictures that we see of, you know, I, and sometimes it does happen. I've met people who have been held literally in dog cages, or have been chained but most often that's, that's not what it looks like in real life. And so we miss it. And instead we see somebody that we assume is a bad kid or a student who's just kind of fallen off the wagon because they're falling asleep in their professor's class. We, we miss what's happening underneath. And as women, we all, men, you need to know this. Women want to be seen, right? They want somebody to see them. And these victims need that desperately because they didn't know what healthy relationships looked like. They're hungry for love. They're hungry for a safe place to stay. And they're offered that by the promises of food or safety or shelter or a pseudo-family. And they're offered a lie from the enemy, a counterfeit of what God's good gifts would look like. We need to counter that by actually seeing people in a way that actually pulls out and calls out what God has planted within us to be reflective of his own image. We will not get a lie long ways through this today, but I'm reminded that uh, people who are targeted are often runaways within, oh my goodness, within three days, or actually within 48 hours, uh, one in three will be sexually exploited, and that often turns to trafficking. And sexual exploitation might be Uh, a kid a week ago in those freezing cold temperatures who hasn't had a safe place to actually lay down and sleep for a day and a half maybe hasn't eaten in that time and someone comes along and offers a ride or a place to stay or a warm meal at McDonald's out of the cold and then suddenly the tables turn and well, now I did this for you I want something back you owe me and that sexual exploitation that trading of goods or services for a sex act uh, often breaks the will or the spirit of that young vulnerable person and they in turn are trafficked they are sold time and time again women that come to our restoration home tell us that on average they had to be they, they had a quota to make for the day, often a thousand dollars, and that meant that they slept with, or were raped by, 20 individuals a day. As college students, we know someone in our life who has experienced sexual violation, rape, incest, sexual abuse as a child. And we know how even that one incident of rape as a college person or a high school person can upend our entire world as we know it. Now imagine having that incident happen to you 20 times a day, day in and day out, sometimes for years. We we just as human beings got as created our brain, so we want to protect ourselves, right? My friend Amanda on Wednesday is gonna talk about what that looks like, how that that unfolds as you try to protect yourself from what's being done to you. Many times women talk about dissociation. So I stare at the clock on the wall or I stare at the crack in the ceiling. Anything to get away out of my mind from what's happening to me physically at that moment in time. When that doesn't work often, women numb that continual pain with drugs or alcohol. Very few women who enter the life of being prostituted actually begin with drug or alcohol problems. It's something that comes as a coping mechanism to try and separate themselves from what's being done to them. We at Source are arming the church to try and come alongside Of these women, I'll have, I have just one story because it shows my own flawed (laughs) ways of stepping into this. I've developed a number of of just dear friends uh, these past seven years who have come out of the life, who are survivors. They are resilient. (laughs) But their norms, because of their childhood, because of their trauma, because of their being trafficked, are not our norms, right? So we have a residential program that has adult Christian professional women live in Christian community with our survivors of sex trafficking. And they do a meal together once a week. They do Bible study together once a week. They go to church together. Um, You don't have to be a Christian to be in our program, but certainly um, we want to create a safe place for them to come and belong we figure they're going to ask questions about why we're doing what we're going to do. And they come often to belief and figure out how to behave. But as you step into this perhaps with people this week, we need to slow our roll sometimes. Because we get the idea that we're going to save somebody or rescue somebody. I've got news for you. not going to happen can't save anyone jesus is the only savior and i am not but i can show them jesus i can introduce them to the savior who changed my life who rocked my world and sometimes that happens in unexpected ways so i know i'm an old lady standing up here in a bunch in front of a bunch of 20-somethings but believe it or not i really love hip-hop and gospel and last, and, uh, last winter uh, Kirk Franklin was coming into town and uh, I had tickets and I knew my husband would not want to go with me, he never wants to go. And, uh, and so I had a couple friends, one who was a resident and one who was a former resident, I knew they would love this. And so my husband being the wonderful man that he is said there are a thousand things happening downtown Minneapolis that night. How about if I pick, you, pick them up with you? I'll drop you at the door. You can take them out afterwards and I'll come back and pick you up when you're ready. I'm like, holla, good. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, he and I go and pick them up and we're driving to the concert. And along the way, my husband is what I would call an aggressive driver on a good day. And I don't know what he did, if he cut somebody off, or ran a paint light, I don't know. But as you do, I chirped at him, and uh, he chirped right back and said something sarcastic, like, well, we're all alive, aren't we? Yeah. And uh, we went to the concert, had a great time, took him out for a fancy dessert afterwards, and uh, went back, and I was talking to one of the women a couple days afterwards. And as the conversation unfolds, she goes, I couldn't believe what you did the other night. And I'm thinking, did I dance too light? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, "Uh, well, you know, we were really scared for you. I went, scared for me? Why? She said, you know, when you said that to your husband, Still, I am completely clueless. Evidently, that says something negative about maybe how I react sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I said, Well, tell me about that. And she said, You know, when you told him he shouldn't drive like that or whatever he had done, I said, Yeah, I am still clueless, people. She said, We were scared for you. They held hands in the back seat because I chirped at my husband and they assumed he was gonna hit me. That was their normal. So just being in relationships allowed us to have that conversation about you deserve a different relationship than violence in reaction to your having an opinion. You have a right to have a voice. You have a right to an opinion even if it's different, and it does not need to be met with violence. So, gosh, I want to invite everybody just to come back the next couple days and learn about how we can continue to engage in this fight. So, do you want to come up and bless us on our way out? Come back and hear from my friends, Rob, tomorrow. Uh, He did a ton of work this last week with the Super Bowl. And my friend Amanda has a powerful testimony of Jesus on Wednesday.